No matter where you find yourself, in church, your wit's end, or at a crossroads, that you learn what it means to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. We are continuing our series on what it means to be at the feet of Jesus. And for different people in this room, that might mean something completely different than somebody else in this room. And so I hope as we continue to walk through Scripture that God continues to unite our hearts and what that means to be at the feet of Jesus. You see, today you could just simply be at church and not be at the feet of Jesus. You could be at your wit's end and not be at the feet of Jesus. You could be, in all reality, at a crossroads in your journey. And I would encourage you, no matter where you find yourself, in church, your wit's end, or at a crossroads, that you learn what it means to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Now, there are two extremes that I have noticed as people uh, through Scripture and through history have approached God and His presence. Literally, at the feet of Jesus means to be in His presence. It means to be in connection to His heart and to uh, His person, the feet of Jesus. But there are some people, and I heard this even recently, it was posted, I think, on Twitter, and somebody made one of those arguments that you've heard before, uh, talking about how casual people are these days, uh, even at church. And they made this argument. Have you ever heard this one? They said, you would never wear jeans to go meet the President of the United States of America. So why are you wearing jeans into God's house? You ever heard that one? Everybody's looking around, who's wearing jeans this morning, right? Well, my response to that, watch this. So, so what they're saying is, God, and, and I know what their intent is, we should reverence the presence of God. We shouldn't just casually uh, just approach the sovereign God, our holy God. And so I understand the intent. Here's my response to that argument. My response to that argument would be, you know what? I've usually always worn jeans when I hung out with my father. You see the difference? You see, I'd rather come to understand that God is not some high majestic God sitting on a throne and he's some royal, although he is royal, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he chose to reveal himself to you and me as our heavenly dictator, our heavenly president, our heavenly father. And so I understand the scope of trying to say, let's don't get too casual and too careless with God, because that's another extreme that comes all the way over here. And in a generation of social media, we have a tendency to relate to God very casually. We wake up and we give him a quick text, a quick response, a quick uh, Facebook post, God, God, good to see you. And we run into our day and we're real casual in that approach. Both extremes miss out on what it means to be at the feet of Jesus. We have become a culture of connections, but very few relationships. I'm concerned that we are growing up in a day and age where we no longer genuinely relate. We don't spend time at each other's feet. We spend time at the screens. We may know what's going on in one another's lives, but we don't know how to do life together. That is a reality of the culture in which we live and it can also then translate into your relationship with your God. You relate to him like you do other people in the very world in which you walk. I was with my daughter the other day driving in the car who shall, rena shall uh, remain unnamed. 
uh, because the youngest is not supposed to ever get in trouble. Can I get an amen from the congregation? This particular child who just happens to be the youngest in my family was there in the car with me and, and it seems like often as we're together and driving, I'll see a, a phone light flash all the time. You know what that means? They're posting through social media. Uh, one of the common new apps of the day is Snapchat. It's a very controversial app. It's one we have tried to work through together as a family and put certain things on. It can be a good thing at times and certainly can be a very dangerous thing. Here it is, snap, 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 all the time snapping, all the time snapping. And so I just asked her, especially as I was thinking about this sermon series of At the Feet of Jesus, I said, how many, how many snaps of your face do you think you've taken in your lifetime? Dangerous question. She kind of thought about it for a moment. That just seems to be their life. That's what our kids and grandkids are growing up with. It's always in front of a screen and always a post and always a snap, a selfie, the selfie generation. So on this particular app, it will show you how many snaps you've done since you've used the app. Anybody want to guess how many different snaps this 18-year-old, the youngest in my family that shall be unnamed, has taken on one app, not counting all the other apps, not counting Instagram or Facebook or anything else like Twitter. One app, what would you guess? 10,000, 50,000, 100,000? She pulled up her score, and this, this sounds, it sounds unbelievable, it's true. 2.6 million snaps. Now, don't judge my family. Don't judge my daughter. Don't, don't go there. Because uh, if, if we track how many Facebook posts we have interacted with, adults over our generation, it surpasses all of those as well. And when I was growing up, you just spent time with people. That's how you had relationships. You just did time with people. That's the only way you could have relationships. We didn't have all this media. We didn't have all these other ways of connecting. You literally just connected with people. And, and, and at most... We'd write letters. Remember those things? Remember letters? I've got a box up in my attic that I kept from when Cammie and I were dating and, and the cards and the notes. And we still will send birthday cards or different things like that. But I was lucky to score 100 notes. And we're talking about 2.6 million interactions on one app? Think about it. We have learned how to relate to people at a very surface level at best, and now not in relationships, but guess what? They now become our followers, not deep-spirited friends, not deep relationships. We have all these followers who follow us, and we follow them, and we have no relationship. Is it possible that that's happening with you and your God? Is it possible that we're as shallow in that relationship with the one who created us as we are in human relationships? And so the goal of this series as we kick off a new year is for God to become so real to us again that he's not just some God we tweet to. It's not just some God we post our needs to and we move on through our day, but literally we have a passion and a heart cry to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And you say, Pastor, you're preaching the wrong crowd. You need to preach to that younger crowd, the second service, that social generation crowd. Let me show you that the very disciples that spent every day with Jesus had the same struggle in relationship. Do you believe me? Let me take you there. Way before Snapchat, way before Facebook, go back 2,000 years in human history to John chapter 14. Go to John chapter 14 this morning and verse 7. 
Jesus is addressing a crowd and also teaching his disciples at the very own time. And in John 14, verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, earlier in John's gospel, he highlights that he told them nobody has seen the Father in form, and yet now he comes to them and almost as if it's a rebuke, but he's actually trying to draw them deeper in understanding. You would have also known my Father, for now, uh, from now on you know him and you have seen him. Now, don't you know they were looking around and saying, whoa, 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 what I miss? Whoa, whoa, do you mean some of the other guys got to see the Father and I didn't? And they're perplexed. And a matter of fact, it surfaces a question. Look at verse 8. So Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Lord, that's all. Just show us, and we can believe deeper, and, and we can understand more fully. God, show him to us now, and that will be enough. Look at Jesus' response in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time? And you still not, do not know me, Philip? Now look at that question in verse 9. He asked a powerful and penetrating question. And I've taught you, remember, anytime the Lord asks a question, it's not because he lacks information. We ask those questions to inquire, to try to understand better, to clarify the situation. Jesus is our clarity. Isn't that what we just sang a little? He knows all things. So if God knows all things, why would God ever ask a question? Because we need to learn all things. And anytime God asks a question, stop right there, put the brakes on, don't just read it for information, don't just look and say, oh, Philip, look at what he needed to learn. No, I need to learn the same thing Philip needed to learn in that moment. And so I've learned to put myself in the very same question. So, so do this. Ask, read through that scripture like this, Lord, Lord, just show me the Father. And Jesus says, Bill, have I been with you so long? Have I been with you so long that you are blind to who I am? Put your name in the blank. Because there's some in this audience, you've walked with Jesus for a long time. These guys had walked with Jesus for three years every single day. They found themselves at the feet of Jesus, showing up for duty, showing up for seminary, seeking to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I would say this to you, Jesus wasn't looking for followers, he was making disciples. I want you to write down a definition of a disciple. Uh, this is something we'll talk about a lot as we move into the new year. A disciple is this, a disciple is someone who has an intimate relationship with God and shares that relationship with others. It's that simple. It's a picture of multiplication. It's not just what they know about God. It's not just being a follower of God. It's somebody who has an intimate relationship with God. And then through that intimate relationship, they're sharing that with other people that need that same intimacy. That's a disciple. Now, there were lots of followers. There were even his disciples who were starting to become just followers, just going through the motions. But he was making disciples. Some of us have walked with the Lord for a long time. I came to know the Lord, found myself at the foot of the cross, the feet of Jesus in 1981. Some of you go way back before then. That, that's scores and scores of years. But that does not mean that we're living at the feet of Jesus. Just like Philip, 
who was spending every single day, he had to be challenged and said, here's the problem, Philip. You know about ministry. You know what I've been doing. You know what I've been teaching. But you still don't know me. Is it possible? Is it possible to have a quiet time and still not know Jesus? Yes. Is it possible to be baptized and a member of a Baptist church and still not intimately know Jesus? Yes. Because that was true at this point for Philip. Now the word know here is a unique Greek word that literally means to know through personal intimate experience. It's not knowing about, like I knew about Cammie in high school. She was a year above me, and so our classes were kind of split at our school. And so you knew about people, but that doesn't mean that you know them. And then through my spiritual gift of manipulation, as I encouraged her to start dating me and going out, we spent time together, and that developed into an intimate relationship, where now she is my bride. And I know her better than anybody on the planet, and she knows me better. How? Because we've spent time together. Are we going to just know about God? Are we going to show up for church and say, man, preacher, give me something new that I can learn about God? Or are we going to be more passionate about finding ourselves at the feet of Jesus? You're going to hear when we get eventually someday, Lord willing, to the state of the church, we're going to talk about our emphasis for the year. And one of those emphases will be how we can literally know what it means to be at the feet of Jesus through a tool called one-on-one with God. You've heard me talk about it before, but the theme verse of this tool that helps us grow in intimacy with Christ and spend one-on-one relationship with him is found in a verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It's in the amplified version. It's on the screen. I hope you can read it from where you are. If you can, I'm going to highlight a couple things that ought to stick out to you. And this has become a powerful time for us as a staff. Bob Shelton took us through this. It came out of Northwest Baptist Church. It's gone literally all around the world since the 1970s. It is an amazing tool that will be available to you. We're not going to do it as a class. But if you ever get to a point and you say, you know what, I need to grow in my intimacy with Christ. You ought to put on a communication card. I want to be a part of a one-on-one with God group. It will encourage you and it will bless you. And here's the whole theme. Here's what it's about. It's not about filling in blanks and taking another discipleship course to learn more about God. It's to have the same heartbeat as the Apostle Paul. Look at it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the amplified version really unpacks this truth to a deeper meaning. So you're going to have to look at it on the screen because I doubt anybody has the amplified Bible. If you do, they're the person that's carrying one about this thick around the room. So, all right, here we go. My determined purpose. Do you have a determined purpose? Do you wake up every day with a compass that directs your path? Paul's was, and it was to the feet of Jesus. He said, my determined purpose is that I may know him. Do you hear it? That I may know him and that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately equated with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may, in that same way, come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which is exerted over believers. And that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, and the hope that is ours. Take a look at that verse, and let me just highlight some of those directives in Paul's life. 
Some things that made a difference in him being a follower of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. The first was his compass. The very first thing at the very first passage is it, I have a determined purpose. As you enter into this year, you may have some determinations that you've already set for yourself, certain goals, certain things that you aspire to, but how many of us have said the number one purpose of my days, not just in 2021, but all my days, is to be at the feet of Jesus. That that is my determined purpose. You see, it's a choice. It's a determination. It's something that happens from within you, and it is a commitment of your life, your energies, and your person. He says, my determined purpose. What was it? The next part that highlights is to know him. He didn't say to know more about him. Hey, listen, Paul was a seasoned student. He was a studied man. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the most knowledgeable person on the planet about the things of God and Scripture. He'd studied it all of his life. He'd been taught by the best of teachers. And after he was converted to Christianity, to a follower of Christ, a true disciple, he went even further in his understanding that the blinders were now off and he could clearly see who Christ was. When you read through the Scriptures, when you're reading the Apostle Paul, you're reading the equivalent of a seminary theologian versus Peter or John that were just fishermen and Regular old guys, still learned, still walked with Jesus, but it's just a little bit different. He knew a lot about God, but he said, my new determined person as a disciple of Christ is to truly, intimately know him. I know a lot about him, but more than anything else, I want to know my Jesus. If all you are is at church, but not at the feet of Jesus, You'll learn about God, but you'll never have that intimacy with God. The next thing he goes on to point out is he wasn't just trying to read through the Bible in a year. He wasn't trying to check a box and make sure he was able to say, I've had my daily quiet time. He was, he was more concerned about the relationship with the one who had changed his life. And so he said, my desire to know him, I want that to progress every day. I want it to grow. I want it to grow not just in familiarity, but in my intimacy. He wanted it to be a progressive relationship. He wanted it to be an intimate relationship. He says, intimately acquainted with him. That is my prayer. That is my passion. And that can only happen at the feet of Jesus. He goes on at the next part and towards the end of the verse, and he says, I want to recognize. I want to be aware. I don't want to be so fast-paced in my life. I don't want to be so distracted by my circumstances that I miss out on the wonders of who the God of this universe is in my life. Have you ever thought about that? There's not only a God who created you. There's not only a God who so loved you, he sent his only begotten son. But there is a God who desires to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit, alive in you. He could have just said, hey, I can't wait for you to get to heaven and hang out. You know, get over planet Earth and then get up here and we'll hang out. No, no, no. He said, I so love you. I want to be with you every second of every day and I will live in you. Have you lost the wonder of who God is in your journey? And then he says, I want to know his power. 
I want to experience a resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want that same power in my journey. I desire that, and you only find that power where? At the feet of Jesus. And then he says, at the very end of the verse, and that I would continually be transformed. The Apostle Paul realized, even though he was a leader in the faith, even though he was called out as an apostle, he didn't have all the answers. He hadn't arrived. He wasn't perfect. And that every day he woke up, he needed to be transformed away from who he was as clay into the image bearer of the potter. You and I need that same transformation, but we will never be transformed. We will never be changed apart or distanced from the feet of Jesus. Jesus said it this way. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said... As he encountered an argument with the devil who was seeking to tempt him and trying to get him to sin so he could not be our sin bearer, he responded and said, man shall not live on bread alone. Forty days in the wilderness, Jesus had been seeking the Father, that intimate relationship. He's modeling what it means to be one with the Father. Forty days without food and the enemy comes and appears to the lust of his flesh and says, hey, you see those stones over there? If you're God, turn those into bread. You, need, you have a need. You have a physical need right now. And what better to meet that need than bread? Can I get an amen from the carb lovers in the room? How tempting it would have been in that moment to satisfy a natural desire. But listen to the wisdom of Jesus. We don't live on physical sustenance, bread alone. But what do we live on? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's your nourishment. And where do you get the word of God? Yes, we hold it in our hands. Yes, that word which has been declared, the Holy Scriptures. Yes, we get it there. But I can tell you, you can hold a Bible in your hand and still get nothing out of the word unless you're in the word at the feet of Jesus, the shepherd of the word. And when I'm at his feet, when I'm abiding in him, when I'm looking to him, he speaks the Word of God. He speaks into my life. He is the bread of life for my soul and for yours. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he was the shepherd and that his sheep, not followers, those who would be his disciples, not those who would go to church, but his sheep, those who would be transformed, those who would receive a new nature, they would be his sheep. And you know what he said? Yes, he said we'd have everlasting life. And yes, he talked about how he'd care for us. But he said this, my sheep hear my voice. When's the last time you heard the voice of God? You see, here's the reality, and you can see it in this picture. A modern-day shepherd looks a little different than what you might picture of a New Testament shepherd. But this is a, a modern-day shepherd and his sheep. Where are his sheep? They're out there in the distance. Never out of sight of the shepherd. The shepherd is always there. The question is, where are the sheep? The question is, where are you? Have you been walking so long with the shepherd that you're content away from the feet of Jesus? Oh, you still can see him. You still know he's there. It's still, but a distanced walk with God? You see, from that distance, you can see him, but you can't hear his voice. And there are some people who have settled for 
greener pastures, have been lured away from the feet of Jesus by things that look good, things that were appealing, things that are desirous to us. And I've told you this before, what I've discovered is greener pasture, you can see it every Sunday on most football fields. It looks pristine, it looks green, it's bright green, and there's no divots in the grass, there's no muddy field like we grew up watching. It's pristine. You know why? Why is it so green? It's artificial turf. And there are too many people distanced from the feet of the shepherd hanging out on artificial turf. So let's get back. Let's learn some more. Let's back up a little ways in the Gospel of John. Go to John chapter 6, verse 26. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus is going to continue to talk about what it means to have an intimate relationship with him, what it means to engage, and that you need the bread of life that's found at the feet of Jesus. Go to verse 26. This is a crowd that had experienced the loaves and the fishes just a few verses earlier. They were so blown away by this miraculous feeding and this holy Baptist buffet that they continue to go after Jesus, and he tries to get away in a boat. They show back up in his life, and they continue to pursue him, and it looks like people who are seeking God. You know what they're seeking? Their bellies to be filled, their eyes to be dazzled, Jesus to be a puppet on a string to meet their every need, their followers and not disciples. Verse 26. And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me. Well, it looks like that's a good thing. But then he draws clarity. You seek me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. He gets to the motivation of why they were at his feet. Does your motivation need to be challenged a little bit this morning? Does there need to be a check on why you're even here or what you're seeking to accomplish this very moment do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the son of man will give you he says there's a different food there is a holy sustenance that you need more than fresh bread and more than some good fish a food that can only come from Jesus a food that can only be distributed at the feet of Jesus. Verse 28. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? As we look in on this, we see they're, they're, they're listening. They're supposedly at the feet of Jesus, but they're not listening. They're not getting it. They even ask a silly question. What are we to do to accomplish the works of God to make God like us? It's interesting that before we come to understand who Jesus is and before we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we are spiritually blind. And we draw a conclusion that we must earn or gain love because that's how all human love is gained in our performance. The Bible says it's not by our works are we saved. It's a gift from God. It's God's grace. And I would tell you that even if you know Jesus as your Savior, you can still fall into that same trap. And right now, you can be trying in your own, without even realizing it, trying to answer the question, what do I have to do today? Do I need to add another 30 minutes to my quiet time? Do I need to sign up for one-on-one -on -one God? Do I need to be more regular in my church attendance? Do I need to give more? What do I do? What do I do so God will love me? Just wrestling with that question reveals that we really don't know him. We may have walked with him for a long time. We may have known him for a long time. 
But Jesus says, Bill, if that's the question you're trying to answer, you apparently don't really know me like you should. That's not who I am, and that's not how you relate to me. Verse 29. So Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. You want to know what the work you need to do? This is the work of God that you simply believe. That you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and we may believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the desert, as it's written. There was a sign that came with Moses, and it was manna delivered from heaven right down here to the earth. That's a sweet sign, and that was the generation of Moses. They had their sign, give us ours. What's our sign going to be? Isn't it interesting? In verse 31, it says, They ate manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They knew their history. They knew about God in the days of Moses' generation. But here was the manna for their generation. Sent from heaven. Holy manna. The Son of Man, Jesus. The bread of life. Right before them. And they couldn't see it. They didn't know who he was. So give us a sign. What was the sign in Moses' day? Bread from heaven. What's the sign in our day? How's he going to get our attention? Bread. Already you're perking up. Already you're, you're picturing certain things. Already your taste buds are flickering. And already you're thinking about lunch, just with the mention of that word bread. But here's the deal. As tempting as fresh baked bread, with that perfect buttery glaze on top, can you get it? Can you smell it? Can you sense that yeast sourdough smell coming from the oven, filling the whole room? Can you get it? I almost brought some in and started eating in front of you, and I thought, that's too cruel. I'm not going there. But you can see it. You can smell it. You can taste it. But for some, here's the problem. The bread of life, Jesus, is stale bread. It's bread that goes back years ago, and when you came to know Christ, and Yet you've distanced yourself from his feet, and it's just stale, crusty bread. That's where your relationship is in this moment. Like the branches that were on this uh, particular stage, it's grown dry and dead. For others, it's weak old bread. You check in once a week. You do the church thing. You hope that church is going to fill you up and get you through the next week until you can get back here next Sunday, or well, maybe three weeks from now. Weak old bread. And others, he's like that Lord's Supper bread that's passed out in church. You remember? Remember the, the little wafer? That cardboard tasting piece of something? It's all hard and brittle, and, and that's who Jesus has become. He's not the bread of life. He's not that daily provision, that fresh bread, that very, very provision early in the morning as you wake up, just as Israel did in the wilderness, and you're soaking up the bread of life. No, it's become stale. Why? Not because he is stale, because you've distanced yourself from the feet of Jesus. So we've got to wrap it up. Verse 32. See, I'm tired of the preacher preaching. Let's get to verse 32. Let's let the Word of God preach. 
So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life, gives life to the world. They said to him, Then, sir, give us this bread always. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He will always give you what you need. But he distributes it when we come to the feet of Jesus. We've got to wrap it up and we've got to close it down. So go uh, to Romans chapter, well, I'm going to skip that one. Let's go to the very last verse. Go to Acts chapter 4 verse 13 and we close very quickly. Philip, the very beginning of this sermon, rebuked by Jesus, said, Philip, have you walked... Have I been with you so long? Have we walked together all these days and you still don't know me? The other disciples were guilty of the same thing. They were just followers at that moment. But then the cross. Then a burial. Then three days later, a resurrection. And these cowards that were hiding and running these guys who had given up on Jesus because they thought he'd given up on them now experience Pentecost. Waiting in an upper room, and Jesus promised, I'm going to send you an advantage. I will send you the comforter. Wait, and before you ever take another step, you wait. And once you have received the Holy Spirit, then and only then will you be my witnesses. They've experienced God in them. Not just knowing about God, not just knowing what he taught, but now they know him intimately and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and now you see a different Philip, a different disciple, different folks, Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now in this case it's Peter and John, but still those disciples. It says, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Apparently they grew up in Oklahoma. And the people were amazed. They began to recognize these guys, not as followers of Jesus, not just tagged on his Facebook page as one of many who followed and listened in on Jesus. Look at what it says. They recognized them as having been with Jesus. Some people know you go to Putnam City Baptist Church some people may recognize that you've been to church this week. God help us. That's not what this world needs. They don't need to see more religious people. They don't need to see the church lady. They need to see Jesus. And what are they seeing when they look at us? Do they see somebody who's been at the feet of Jesus? When Moses hung out with God on the mountain, and when he came down... Everybody clearly knew he'd been in the presence of God. Why? He was radiating the Shekinah glory of the one whose presence he'd been in. This week, what are we going to radiate? Our church attendance? Or that we've been at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Have you been walking so long with God, but it's become stale bread? Have you been walking so long with God that you know about him, but you are distance and hanging out in greener pastures? Or 
Or are you one who obviously has been seen with Jesus? It could be that you're here or you're worshiping online and and you've heard about Jesus. You may have even grown up around church or maybe never around church. doesn't matter. The question is, do you know him? And does he know you? I didn't ask, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about the cross? Most people have heard that message. Most people know those facts. But they've never intimately surrendered to the reality of the cross and to what Jesus accomplished on the cross and why he died on the cross. In Romans 5, it says that he died to remove our sins. But it also says that through his life, his resurrected life, we now also can live. And today you're here with an empty life, a burdened life, a broken life, but you don't have life in Jesus. You need a Savior. Right where you are, you could just cry out to him. The Bible says if you'll call on his name, you will be saved. Cry out to him and say, God, save me. Save me from my sin. God, I give you my life. It's that simple. It's that intimate. It's that personal. And if you've never done that right where you are, do that now. If it's online, reach out to us. Please email us. Uh, chat with the online pastor. Let us know what God's doing in your life right now. If you're here in this room, you can do it on your church app, on a church communication card. Respond right now. But I know this, that there are many in this room, many who are worshiping with us online this morning. You know Jesus is Savior. But are you just one who's known him as Savior and just kind of been a follower of God most of the days of your life, but not an intimate disciple of Christ? And today, say, God, forgive me. God, I repent. Not so that you might be saved again. You're only saved once. But like the prodigal son, you might return to an intimate relationship with the Father. Maybe there's somebody that needs to Come back to the feet of Jesus as you rededicate and recommit your life to him. Maybe that's your first step. Say, Lord, my determined purpose is to know you every single day of my life. Maybe that's your prayer. Whatever it is, I hope you would share that with us through the week. Our shepherding staff would love to reach out to you, encourage you in your journey, pray with you over the phone. We all need to be at the feet of Jesus. Father, my prayer is that that would be true. Not just a sermon title, but a reality of every heart. That our desire, our determined purpose would be at your feet at the beginning of every day and throughout the day. Allowing you to be our shepherd to guide us through valleys, to greener pastures, to quieted waters. Lord, be our shepherd. And may we, your sheep, hear your voice and follow you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.